heard testimonies to how you provide. We've given you glory for that. And I'm sure if we, uh, if we asked everybody, we'd all have a story to tell. Because you're so faithful and you always come through for us. And it's not that, it's not that need is uh, impossible in this life, because Paul says he was in need at times, and certain times we know we will too. And yet, we know we can trust you. We can give to you, knowing that you're sovereign over all these things. So Lord, as we look at your word today, may our hearts be full because of all that you've given us. And if you want to speak a word of correction to us, one of us, many of us, would you help us with the grace to hear it and the grace to obey it? Your word is as a light to our path. So would it shine brightly this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when I was... Uh, in junior high, one of the things my kids and I like to talk about a lot is that they want to know, like, what were your friendships like, Dad, when you were growing up? And I had a really good friend in junior high named Nathan. <clears throat> and we, you know, summers were the best. You know, you, you, some of you know this, this feeling. You know, you get on a bike and you're riding all over town. You know, you're riding into the country. You're riding by the railroad tracks. It, it just, it's like the, the whole earth is your playground at that point. <clears throat> I know times have changed a little bit, and, and, and we, we we're concerned for safety, and we want boundaries, but, you know, some of those junior high days are just awesome days. Uh, pick up basketball games, you'd ride your bike to a friend's house, and, hey, we'll take you two guys on, and you start the game, and you're, you're shooting around and just having a great time, going swimming in the local pool spending the night at each other's houses and, and telling stories and secrets. Uh, just just awesome days. And then I went to high school, and I went to a Christian high school that was half an hour away from home, uh, different place. Nathan wasn't there. And I started to build new friendships. <clears throat> and, and it's not that the old friendship was bad or it was, it, it just kind of changed. And we saw each other less and less frequently. And I guess it didn't make me mad, it didn't make him mad. But we went to college, you know, we, we, we tried a few times to just get together and talk. And it's kind of like that to this day, you know, we, we can communicate every so often. And I've noticed that sometimes, sometimes that's how friendships kind of fluctuate, ebb and flow. And sometimes you, you build a relationship with somebody and... Maybe both of you just don't put the time and effort into it. And that might not make you bad people. It just means that it didn't work out maybe the way you were thinking. I mean, I remember making an agreement with Nathan one summer. Uh, we, were, we were out at the uh, basketball hoop at the park, Shore Acres Park, shooting around. And, and he was a little bit shorter than me at the time. Ha ha. Because um, I stopped growing right after eighth grade. So that was, you know. Uh, and he, he was talking about how tall he was going to be and much taller than me. And he never grew much either. So that was great. But um, but he said, in 10 years, we're going to meet back here 
and I'm, we're, we're going to play one-on-one, and I'm going to show you, a, you know. And so it was, it was kind of that, that good competitive thing, you know. We never met up in 10 years, though. It just, just, just didn't happen. So, you know, some of these friendship things, I think you've all had a friendship like that that just kind of changed. Sometimes there's even a, a hurtful thing that changes it. Maybe a lie was told, and, and it just maybe gossip, maybe that secret was shared, and it just changed everything. And it just kind of, you kind of drifted. When I read about Israel in the book of Malachi, I think, here's people that have a relationship with God, and they've just let the friendship drift. They just let it go. That doesn't mean it wasn't on God's part at all. God is completely committed, and his people are kind of like, eh. And, and, And it's kind of like God is saying, don't you see how you're treating me? Don't you see? And so, and so they're like, no, we don't see at all. I don't understand what's wrong. And God says, I'm going to tell you what's wrong. And so Malachi is formed around these questions and answers. Usually it's God making a statement saying, you people are doing this. And then the people say, no, I don't see that. I think everything's fine. And then God says, no, no. And, and this is a relational God that wants a friendship with his people. He wants to be king of his people. And they're just kind of like, yeah, I just whatever. Would you go to Malachi chapter 3? And you're going to hear it again. And... Uh, Actually, we'll start in verse 6. I think verse 6 is a good place to start because God says in verse 6, I don't change. I don't, you know, God is saying, I'm the king. I'm the friend. I'm the one that doesn't change. You're the ones that are changing. I'm not the one that, I'm not the one that's moving away from you. You're moving away from me. I want the relationship. And yet, you just seem to be drifting. Here it is, verse 6, Malachi 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees, and you haven't kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So we have two questions today that the people ask God. And and the first question is, um, how do we return to you? How do we come back to you, Lord? I mean, Malachi's been doing all sorts of stuff here. You know, the people question, does God love me? And then in week two, we looked at the uh, not giving God your best. And then week three, you know, we're talking about marriage and divorce and, and not being faithful to your vows. And, and we just go on and on and on. 
and, and people are like, how do we come back? How, how, do we, how do we repent and get into a right relationship again? And God says, well, you're robbing me. Think about that one. And then they're going, well, how are we robbing you? Now, now it should be obvious. I mean, this is the point. It should be obvious. The relational drift should be just like, well, there it is. It's clear. I've I got to do something about this. But they're like, I, I don't get it. What do we do? And so God is being explicit. He's being clear. He's being like, this is what it is. You're robbing me. Okay. So I do know this. And the overarching point this morning is God commands his people to give. God commands, if you're part of God's people, the command of God is to give. Be givers. How do we give? So that's a question I want to answer this morning. How do we give? It's interesting, and you're going to see this as we go. We're using an Old Testament text, and while we're living in the church age, we've got, we, we got to understand how this works because we're not Israel, and yet God's commands to Israel are good. So let's understand what he's saying here and, and do our work to, to dig in a little bit. First of all, the first guideline I'd say is pretty clear here is that, number one, one of the first steps of repentance is giving financially to the Lord's work. So God says in verse 7, return to me, repent. I mean, this is how every, every, all of you that are Christians here, let me tell you how you became a Christian. Let me tell you one of the first things you did. In fact, I remember my first, one of my first job interviews, a church asked me, how do you become a Christian? And it's like, well, that's simple. I mean, I wouldn't be interviewing for a pastoral position if I didn't know how you became a Christian, you know. You, you kind of like, what? That's, that's a silly question, you know. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead, and I believe that. And then I remember somebody, uh, one of the guys in that process said, what about repentance? See, I'd never forget that, you know. Like, that was like, what, 15 years ago. I, don't, I remember a job interview from 15 years ago because one guy said, what about repentance? And I'm like, well, yeah, that just goes with the whole thing of getting forgiven of your sins. If you're forgiven, that means you've repented. Exactly. Exactly. You got into this Christian thing by repenting, by saying, my sin's bad, I want to turn from it, and I want to do what you want me to do, God, so please forgive me. I don't want to do that anymore. And so God is saying to them, overarching, he's saying, would you come back to me? Would you repent would you turn from your sin and come back to me? And they say, how are we supposed to get back? What, what's the road home look like? And God says, well, are you going to rob me? Are you going to rob me? And they're like, what? what rob? No, no, no. You know. And he says, yeah, you are. You're robbing me in tithes and offerings, verse 8. So I can conclude then, number one, that one of the first steps of repentance is giving financially to the Lord's work. I remember, um, you know, I talked to lots of people that have turned from different sins, you know, and, and some of them, they, they can tell really good stories about when they first became a Christian, you know, and they had drug use, uh, over-drinking, alcohol, and, and swearing, and, and, you know, used just down the line. And then they get saved, and it's like, which one do you work on first? We'll work on all of them, right? That's what we'd probably tell them. Do all of it. You know, change it. And I know there's some overnight changes, but I also know Christians that it's a step at a time. It's a step at a time. And one woman just put it really bluntly. You know, she's like, I just kept 
I just kept swearing for a time. You know, I just it took me a while to get rid of that. And uh, so it just occurs to me, some things in our life take longer to work themselves out. But if I'm reading this right, it seems like when you repent and turn to God, one of those steps that ought to happen right away is giving. Giving. Maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that said to yourself, I don't see how putting money in the offering has a lot to do with my faith. And Malachi, and the Lord is saying, it has everything to do with your faith. How mature are you as a believer? One of the ways to answer that question is to look at how much you give. That's one of the ways you answer that question. I was uh, I was in the men's ministry uh, together uh, a few few weeks back, and we were praying. and And, and, and George was, had a great question that night. He said, what, "What are some of the things God is trying to plant into your life, and what are the things God's trying to uproot?" And I was sitting with a couple guys, and my answer to that question is, for me, what personally was, I know God is putting His finger on my finances and saying some things to me about it. You know, I think he's trying to plant some new things there, personally in me. And, and then I come to this passage this week, and I can't look away. I can't look away from this statement of my maturity in the faith is partly connected to giving. And that makes me awfully uncomfortable. And I hope it makes you uncomfortable too. I can't escape this. That's number one. So now that we're all uncomfortable, we can keep going, okay? <laughs> all right. Uh, number two. This will be easier, right? Okay. Uh, all the earth's resources belong to the Lord. Uh, so you look at this, and, and God says, we're, Will a mere mortal rob God? Now, let's just take that logically for a second. Can you rob God? I mean, if, if God had a house and you wanted to break into the house and take from God, could you physically do that? No. Not too many people said no, but you couldn't, right? I mean, if Jesus owned a little house, and, and he didn't want you to rob him, would you be able to overpower him and rob him? No. He's too strong for you to do that. And yet, I read this and go, it sounds like God is allowing his people to rob him, even though, as it said in verse 6 earlier, I, the Lord, don't change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I could destroy you. When you rob from me, you know, some cultures, you rob from them, and they, they, they take your hand, you know. You've heard about those cultures that do that. You know, you only rob once. Um, I guess you got one more hand. But, uh, right? Right? Um, you only do it once or twice. But God is saying, you're robbing me. So I conclude, since God can't be robbed unless he allows it to happen because he has all power, the other thing I conclude here is God must own everything. He must own everything. All the earth's resources belong to the Lord. Otherwise, you wouldn't be robbing him. Kids, uh, think of it like this, kids. You ever watch the, uh, the Disney movie uh, Robin Hood, the cartoon one? That's, a, that's one of the best ones. 
Cinderella, eh, you know. Um, Robin Hood. Okay. Um, remember that scene at the beginning where he goes to a birthday party of the little bunny boy, you know? And, and he's, getting, he's opening up his one birthday gift because the family's so poor, they're overtaxed. The Sheriff of Nottingham is taxing and Prince John and all that. And he opens up this one little gift, one little box. Remember this? A little coin in there. And, and he starts to dump it into his hand, and the sheriff reaches out and grabs the coin from him. You know? And, uh, and that was his only gift, you know? And, and that was his coin. And he should have been able to spend something on it. And I hated that part of the movie. I hated it. I felt like that is just so, I don't know what it did to me as a kid, but I was like, that is so wrong. I just feel bad. Um, now you think, if everything belongs to the Lord, then kids, that means your bike belongs to the Lord, your report card money belongs to the Lord, your allowance belongs to the Lord, your bed belongs to the Lord, your blankets, your books, your, 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 your music, it, it all belongs to the Lord. The movies you have, you know, all of it. It all belongs to the Lord, 100%. And what God is saying is, I own it all. Would you give a part back to me? I just want you to give a part of what you have back to me. And when you say, no, I won't give that back to you, then God says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me because I asked for it back. You ever lend something out to somebody and they ask for it back? Do you ever say, no, it's mine now? Oh, <laughs> they'll never lend to you again, you know. <laughs> when you borrow something, you've got to give it back. And all that we have is essentially borrowed. Because the whole earth belongs to the Lord. That's in the Psalms. The whole, I think that's Psalm 24.1. The whole earth belongs to the Lord. And everything in it. Everything in it. Everything in it. And God says, I just want you to take some of what I've given you and just give it back, just a part. And when you say, I won't do that, God says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. So kids, I think my point for you is, and this is something, you know, for uh, in my family too, that we're not doing this. I need to think about how to do this. How can you give back to God what he's given you? Can you take some of the money that you've been given for your report card and give it back to the Lord? Of course you can. Of course you can. Because it all belongs to Him anyway. If you can learn that lesson, kids, while you're young, that'll save you from a lot of heartache when you get older and you want to start fighting about money. It'll save you a lot of heartache when it all belongs to God. Thirdly, uh, in the law, the Lord has commanded his people to give tithes and offerings. So uh, here's verse 8. You ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? Verse 9, you're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, that's 10%, by the way, it's a tithe, uh, into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Bring the whole tithe. He says, when, when, when they say, how are we robbing you? He says two words. He says, tithes and offerings. Now, that brings up the question, 
and maybe this is more of a less, uh, well, adults, I want you to follow my logic in this. That's what I'm saying. Is tithing still biblically uh, commanded today? That's my question. Must you give a tithe, a 10%? Is that the command of God for the church today? Now, I want you to follow my logic here. And, and again, if, if you see a flaw in it, that's okay, you know, uh, but see, see if you can follow this, first of all. The law required 10%. The law requires 10%. Uh, we put the Deuteronomy passage up there. It's all over the, in, in the Old Testament, but this is one of them. Uh, then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and special gifts. So, so you are supposed to bring a tithe to the Lord. That's a command in the Old Testament. Secondly, the second point of our, of our logical steps here is, uh, as a Christian, we're not under the law. So I'm not willing to be legalistic about this. We're not bound to the law. The tithe was, was a command for Israel, but I'm not under that Old Testament law. Now, I've talked about the law a lot in different places, different times here, uh, I still think the law is good. I think we need to listen to it. I think we need to understand the principles behind it so that we can see God's holiness in it. I think when you read the law, you ought to look and see how it connects to Jesus. You know, But look at Galatians. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So I'm taking it that the Spirit now is doing something in me involving my giving that has an impact on how I look at the law. There's spirit and law. And I'm supposed to go by the spirit, not just the law. Will God ask me to break the law? Well, that's a good question. I don't think he is going to ask me to break his own law. Uh, next, next one. Uh, Jesus affirmed the moral principles behind the law as well as tithing. Jesus affirmed tithing. But when he affirmed moral principles, what I mean by that is, you know, Jesus says things like, uh, you've heard it said... Don't commit adultery. But I say, don't look at a woman in lust. So the idea is, it's not just don't commit the act. It's that you don't want to commit all the other hard stuff behind it. Jesus always gets to the heart of the issue, the principle behind the thing. He wants to show you it's not just a, it's not just a tithing. Here's my 10% check. I've completed my obligation to the Lord. So now if anybody asks me for anything, I'm going to say no because I did what I said I would do. 10%. I'm done. The rest is my own. You know, uh, there's a moral principle behind tithing, a generosity principle. And we all kind of understand that, you know, because we all know it would be really hard-hearted for someone to say, here's my 10%, don't ask me for a dime more, Lord. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's get to the next verse there. Matthew twenty three twenty three. Here's Jesus on tithing. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices. You know, <laughs> a tenth. Uh, mint, dill, cumin. You, you've neglected the more important matters of the law: justice, mercy, faithfulness. So stop tithing and do the just. No, he doesn't say that. You should have practiced the latter justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former tithing spices. <laughs> okay? 
So, my plan is to come to your house today, and you get in your spice cabinet, and we're going to do this, okay? And we're going to stock the church's spice cabinet. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I know, I know it, it's cultural, but I don't think you can escape. There's a tenth involved here. I'm giving a tenth. Here it is. Jesus affirmed it. Uh, the next point in our logic is the early church. What did the early church do? The early church gives sacrificially and generously. Uh, let's get that verse up. We'll just look at that quickly. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Uh, you got a need? I got a car to sell. I'm going to get rid of my car and give to your need. That's just what they were doing. There's huge generosity in the early church. Huge. Uh, our next step in logic then, here. So Paul teaches generous, cheerful, spirit-led giving. That's Paul for you. Be generous. Be cheerful. Be spirit-led in your giving. Here's the verse. Uh, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He's talking about giving there, by the way. If you give generously, you reap generously. I mean, there's these principles here going. Uh, verse 7. Looks like my text ran into each other. I'm sorry. Uh, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you should decide in your heart, this is the percentage I'm going to give. At this point, I would expect Paul to say, you need to give your tenth. He doesn't say that. You need to decide in your heart. You need to let the Spirit lead you to give. And don't do it under compulsion. Don't do it because I told you to, as in me. Do it because God is moving in you, and God loves a cheerful giver. Although I do believe one other thing is true as well. If you're not a cheerful giver, giving may actually help your heart become cheerful. Like the release of it. I think cheerfulness can be gained by the releasing of it. I totally believe that. Because obedience brings joy. That's biblical. Obedience brings joy. So release it. Now the conclusion I would say is this. I, I, this, is, this is my pastoral advice to you on tithing. A tithe is a good baseline for giving. 10% is a great baseline. You know, they often say, you give 10, you save 10, and you live on 80. You know, that's a good, this is a good baseline for giving. But the New Testament points towards a very generous, cheerful, spirit-led giving. That's the New Testament for you. So you've got to ask yourself the question, if I give my tent and say, I'm out, that's it, I'm not sure that's the generous, cheerful, spirit-led giving we're talking about here. God may ask for more. And I think he often does for those that are financially well off. He asks for more than 10%. I'm saying 10 is a good baseline. It's a good baseline. If you don't give anything, my advice would be, why not try 5% and see how the Lord deals with that? And then after a year, why don't you try to give 10? And if God just keeps giving you more and more, well, then why not try 15? You know, you just, you just, you, you give, you give. Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, number four, what are we supposed to give this money for? Uh, we give it for the Lord's work on earth. You give it for the Lord's work. Here's what he says in verse 10. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Food in my house. Feed the priests, you know. Feed the people who work for the Lord. Bring it to the temple. So we're talking about giving for the Lord's work on earth. I've given you a few options on what that looks like in parentheses here. That's just my pastoral, you know. These are the kinds of things we're talking about. The church, parachurch organizations, uh, needs, missions, etc. We have missionaries. When you give to this church, we actually in turn give it to missionaries, part of it, right? But maybe you know a missionary that's not part of this church. You just want to support them. Great, do it. Maybe you know of a need. Great, meet the need. Uh, We give it for the Lord's work on earth. If you were to ask me this question then, do I need to give it first to the church and then secondly and thirdly and fourthly to parachurch and missionaries and other needs? Do I have to give to the church first before I give to those other things? So if you go to this church, are you supposed to give here first before you give over to those places? If I was to say yes to that, I think I'd be getting legalistic. Because I couldn't point you to a verse in the Bible that says that. And I dare not give you a command that's not in here. I'd say pastorally, I say it's a good practice to make it church first, and then you look at other places that are needs and do those second, third, fourth. That's a good practice. In fact, that's what I'd like to see happen. But, If you have a different conviction, if the Lord has said, give here first, you'll get no pushback from me. You should do that. You should do that. That's how I'd answer that question. Um, I have no command from the Lord on that. So that's number four. Uh, You give it for the Lord's work. Uh, You decide what, what kinds of the Lord's work should you be supporting, and then give faithfully. And then fifthly and lastly, We give in anticipation of God's providence. I love this. So this is you helping me preach the sermon from earlier and your stories. Look at what he says here. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Test me. How many times does God say, test me in the Bible? Not much. Usually he says, don't test me. Like, if you're sinning and you're like, let's see how far I can go until God does something. Don't do that. Don't test him. You know? If Satan says, jump off the roof of your house, I ask Jesus the same thing, you know. Uh, Jump off the temple. Don't test him. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. But this one, he says, test me. And uh, let me just give you a a Jewish context to this. If you're a Jewish person and you're living underneath the law, God already had all these promises of blessing for you. If you obey, I will bless So what you're doing is you're saying, I'm obeying God, so bless me. And God is saying, I love that kind of testing. When you say to me, Lord, you have said, God loves that. 
God loves it when you test his promises. His promises. Lord, you said this, and God's like, I did say that, and I do want to do that. All right, God, bring it on. Bring it on. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well, the stuff that you need, test him. You've got to keep in mind Paul, though, who says, I know what it's like to be in need. Because the Lord may want you to go through a time of need. He may want, he, Paul did it. Paul did it. He despaired of life at one point. It got so hard. Yeah, you might be in need. But I think very often what you're going to see, like you've heard this morning, is you're going to hear the Lord's faithfulness. And you're going to be able to tell the story. And when you tell the story about what God did, this is what happens. Verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see that? That's the glory thing Eric was talking about earlier. You know, when, when you obey God, and then God pours out his blessings on you, and people see it, there's a God involved here. When you, those of you that spoke this morning in the service, when you give testimony to what God has done, people that don't know the Lord and they're sitting in these chairs and they're going, the Lord is working here. The Lord is working here. Give Him the glory. Give Him the praise. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know. You probably had a hand in it somewhere. You probably did something to do whatever you were doing. But the Lord ultimately blessed you and you give Him praise. And then people that don't know him say, what a good God you serve. And when times get hard and you don't have what you need and you trust him even in the hard times, the lean times, and people see that and they go, wow, your faith is real. You trust him in the lean times. Either way, God gets the glory. I was talking with one of our elders a few weeks ago and we were sharing uh, stories and it was kind of like uh, the idea we were talking about is it's really hard to outgive God. You know? You give Him your tithe. You give Him offerings. You want to support the New Orleans missions trip, so you give to that. And you want to support a missionary, so you give to them. And, and, and you, want to, you want to help your neighbor out with uh, car repairs, so you pay for that. You know, It's hard to outgive God. Because he is an awesome, awesome giver. And he's already given you the best that he's got. He's given you his son. Worship team, would you come up and lead us in one more song? Can I, I want to say this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? The ultimate gift of God is Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier in the sermon, you got to repent. you got to say, I don't want my sin. I want to be forgiven of all the wrong I've done. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive it. Jesus died on the cross to forgive it. If you want to pray a prayer like that and ask God to forgive you for the first time because you've never done that before, would you look up at me and we'll pray together if that's you? If this is your day and you need to talk to God and make that right. All right.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to admit that I have sinned. I've done wrong. And I repent. I turn from that. And I want to turn towards forgiveness. Would you wash all my sins away? Because I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe he rose from the dead. So make me a new person. Transform me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before you go, a couple things. If you're new here, we have Sunday School for Kids at 10.30, uh, 10.45. Cross training will be in here. Uh, that's when we discuss the sermon together. And uh, consider staying for 11.30, potluck, and then the budget meeting to follow. Um, I'm taking off this week. I'll be back for Mother's Day. To preach for Mother's Day, you can't miss Mom's Day. You know, that's important. Uh, but I'll be attending the Christian Alliance for Orphans Conference with my wife. So we're super excited about that. And uh, so just don't expect me in the office this week. I'll be somewhere warm, all right? Um, not that it's not warm here, all right? All right, let's, let's pray. So God, we give you the glory, great things you have done, and you'll continue to do and do and do over and over. And we love to hear the stories. We give you praise for every story that was shared this morning. You get the glory. You have done these things, and we've been the recipients and, and, and we know that we'll never, ever, ever stop receiving from you. It's going to go on forever. The grace goes on forever. The love goes on forever. Your giving goes on forever. You are the ultimate giver. And so I mean this when I say this. Would you make me more like you? 
Would you make us more like you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.